I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, and I moved from Miami all the way to California during my uh, supervised uh, internship, supervised practice, and I started working at a community mental health center in LA, um, which was very eye-opening. I got a lot of experience there, and then COVID happened, mm. and uh, they were also having financial issues, so they were in the, the clinic. The clinic, yes. yes. Okay. So they called it. They were in the red, <laughs> and so in order for them to compensate that for the rest of the fiscal year, they normally normally we had to bill like twenty seven hours mm-hmm. a week, plus going to meetings and documentation and whatnot. Uh, and then they had us do thirty two, thirty six, and that was unreal. Unreal. What's that? Same pay. Yeah. Same pay. So I was like, heck no. Yeah. Heck no. My time is more valuable and my energy. Um, so I got burnt out and I took a medical leave. And that was for I would say like three months. And this was still in 2020. Yes. 2020. Living in California where everything was extremely fucked. Yes. Yeah. my, My starting. My, my, when I started just settling in, it was awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And then COVID happened and I was in a fresh relationship as well. And even during COVID, we moved in together. So that was chaotic too. And yes, yeah, so I took some time off and I was like, what do I want to do? I don't want to go back, but what other options do I have? I'm not ready to start my own practice yet. I don't have a large clientele. So, okay. Okay. What's a baby step. And then I just started browsing and I found this private clinic, private group practice that was fully remote and they had several locations all over California. They had some in Texas, I think in Arizona and Nevada. And then they were starting to open up other ones in the East coast, but I was like, okay, this is cool. Like I want to be, I want to be able to manage my own time. So they gave us that flexibility and it was great at first. But then I started to notice that I got burnt out because I was having eight sessions in a day and I had like maybe five to 10 minutes in between them. And so I was fried by the end of the day and trying to then go to the gym, trying to attend to my relationship trying to navigate the two businesses that I opened up with that relationship, which I don't recommend until (laughs) later on. If you're even going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the relationship collapsed. Uh, I was also, I was very depressed, very anxious, very depressed Mm -hmm. because we were just feeding off off of each other's, uh, childhood wounds and no one to blame. It was just, we got to work on these things. And it was just too intense all at once. And this was 2021, end of 2021. I started going to my now current therapist and I, I continue seeing him. And I just made a massive shift. Even like while I was still living, living together with them and what else? I, I still was working for this other company 
And then I moved out early 2022. And it was very difficult. It was very terrifying because I thought, oh my gosh, like, how am I going to survive on my own? Even though I had done it before, before the relationship. But it's like, I, all of my, my core negative beliefs had resurfaced and I felt almost helpless, but I took the leap anyway. And after a few months, after I had moved out and I was settling into myself and I found like this whole community, which, you know, like Lauren yeah. and Dylan and you as well. And it was really the most healing part was not just like my own self-work and going to therapy. It was also connecting with people mm-hmm. and being my authentic self yeah. because I felt I wasn't able to do that in my relationship. Um, I was in the beginning, but then I just, I lost myself. And I think a lot of us do that. And yeah, I just found so much liberation and so much freedom, which I was wanting in the relationship, but I felt more so like imprisoned. I feel like, I don't know. I, I don't know, know the best way to describe this, but, um, a lot of people I've talked to can kind of, uh, say the same thing, but it feels like after COVID is almost a completely different life. Like anything before COVID, it feels like I don't even recognize that person who the memories I associate with, right? It's like, obviously that was me, but anything before 2020 is just, it feels like a lifetime ago. It does. And anything after I'm like, okay, like that's me. That's who I am. Mm -hmm. Like those are like the fresh memories. And like what you said, where you were going through like these depressive periods where you felt kind of lost, then you took a risk, you took a leap, you wanted to do something different, you found yourself. And then now you're in a really good place or like you, you're at least on the path to being on in the a path. really good personal place. And um, honestly, I feel like a lot of people can probably say the same thing. Yeah. And I don't know if it was because of COVID. I don't know if COVID was just like that impetus to like make everyone realize just how fragile their life can be. And then it's mm-hmm. like, oh shit, you know, maybe I don't wait until next year to do this thing that like I've been putting off. Maybe I do it mm-hmm. now because I don't know when the next opportunity I'm going to have to start right. my business will be like, it's not worth me just continuing to sit in my own misery at this job that I've hated for the last two years or this relationship that I've been miserable in. Um, and a, a lot of people that I've talked to after like post COVID um, kind of say the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that that everyone kind of has that same experience where there was just like this immediate sense of overwhelm, depression, anxiety because of everything that was going on, obviously. But then whenever we realize like, okay, maybe we are eventually going to get back to normal and this will eventually fade away. Then it was like, all right, like I need to do something different. I need need to do some shit for myself. Um, But I kind of want to backtrack because you and I have known each other for how long? Oh my gosh, since... 2018, 2017, 2017. Yeah. And oh my um, gosh. Yeah. It's, it's been a really fucking long time. And, yeah. and back then you were doing a lot of work with 3DMJ, right? Mm-hmm. Still am. Yes. Yeah, so you still are. Okay. That's, that's dope. I didn't even realize that you still were doing that. So um, do you kind of want to like talk about what that is? Like maybe what 3DMJ is for one, uh, for sure. people who don't know what that is. And then, um, and then also kind of like the work that you do for them and mm-hmm. what you've done in the past. Yeah. So 3DMJ, 3D Muscle Journey. Um, I would say they're, they're like the OGs of natural bodybuilding and they provide coaching for general lifestyle clients, 
powerlifting clients and physique competitors. And they're just like, they're family. They're mm-hmm. a family to me. And we have Eric Helms. We have Alberto Nunez. We have Jocker Alberts. We have Brad Loomis. Uh, we ha- now have um, uh, Ben. We now have a- Andrea, Andrea Valdez and Steve Taylor, Nicola Camelli, and myself. So we all have our own strengths. And oh, sorry, I said Ben, it was brain minor. My bad. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, yeah, so they're fully remote, fully mm-hmm. online. I don't know if they have actual in-person clients. I know they, they show up for the shows and, and competitions. Um, but the work I do, I'm a mental health consultant. And I started that position about 2017 when I, when I first was officially licensed. And what I do for them is provide content. We, we go through a cycle. Um, so I'll do blogs. I'll do podcasts. Um, we used to do kind of like Instagram posts as well. So I could do like clips for them. And what I also do is I have like a a survey in the intake form to assess, like if someone is appropriate to, to be able to take on these, uh, physique goals and if they're healthy enough. And then if anything comes up during the process that the coaches are working with them, uh, we'll touch base and we'll see like, okay, what's going on. And they'll present to them. Hey, this is an option for you. Like if you need some extra support and they'll pass them along to me. And if the client feels comfortable, I can collaborate with the coach as well. It's not necessary, but can be helpful. Mm -hmm. And I actually discovered them, man, in the YouTube days when they were doing just like straight blogs, like this is the day in the life with Matt Ogus. And they were all stationed out in Sacramento. Uh, Chris Lovato was part of that too. Um, so I discovered them through that. And I first touched base with Andrea Valdez, who was not a coach at that time. She was just a client. And we just started, you know, messaging back and forth and we developed a relative friendship as much as you can online. And then one day, like we met up, started hanging out, and then our friendship started developing more. And she offered to me if I could help her and support her in her business because she had her own thing going on. And so it was more so just like background website work, um, Instagram posts. And later on, she was brought onto the team and she just told them about me eventually. And then I started doing the same thing for them. For the muscle and strength pyramids, just more backend website work. And later on, they started to get to know me better and realized, hey, we actually need this in our team, like your skills. And here we are today. Yeah. It's been so, a long journey. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, um, could you give an, an example of kind of like what you would do with a client who might come through, put on the intake form, something that would raise some alarms as some to red flags? Yeah, yeah, some red flags as to like maybe their their unreadiness to to compete and to like really jump into like you know the the things that physique sports necessitate as far as extremes go. Um, like what what would your role be in that capacity to be kind of like stepping in and assisting with someone who you know might just need a little bit more support in, in that role? 
Yeah. Well, surprisingly, I actually haven't had any clients that have well, actually potential clients that have applied mm-hmm. and red flags have been raised. So I, I don't assess the the intake. It's more so the coaches. Yeah. And then okay. if something comes up, they pass it along to yeah. me. Um, but what has happened is they'll be working with someone long term and they recognize ah, we're getting stuck in a pattern and you know they're overeating almost every weekend or they have a lot of negative self-talk. And so the, uh, the, the coach will talk about it with them. And if it is something they're comfortable with, they'll connect me with them. And we just have like a consultation call. We'll have a discussion about what's been going on, what they're looking for. And if they're open to having therapy, um, if it's someone outside of the state that I'm licensed, licensed in, which is California, um, I'll do life coaching with them. And depending on what they're presenting with. Um, and if it's too severe, then I'll refer out. But most of the time, it's not. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll start like weekly sessions with them, meet with them for about 50 minutes and create goals, see what the presenting problem is, how is it impairing their functioning and figure out what direction they want to go in. And ask them, you know, if they've had a history of therapy, how has that worked out for them? And what are some roadblocks that are happening in the moment? Yeah. Do you feel like like the negative self-talk is is probably one of the bigger issues? Very common. Yeah. Um, And I would imagine that the majority of the clients that you get passed through, like the 3DMJ side, are probably competitors that Mm -hmm. are the more like high level, like they're going through like these, these cyclical periods of you know, surplus deficit, surplus deficit competing. And there's just a lot going on there that could potentially lead down that road of having those inner battles. Um, But what, what do you think um, are some good strategies as far as negative self-talk goes or like people that find themselves in those same patterns of getting really down on themselves or having low self-esteem or um, wanting to compete or wanting to hang on to like fitness mm-hmm. as almost a means to improve their self-esteem yeah. um, rather than trying to do some like, you know, inner work or different type of some, some therapy to figure out like what the root cause of that, that might be. Um, like what are some strategies that you might be able to just kind of like blanketly give to people who might be struggling with some of those things, which I know that's difficult because it's, it's all very difficult. Um, it's all different outside of, you know, just like reach out to Amanda, but <laughs> yeah. Um, Man, that's an excellent question. It's very difficult to assess, but um, it usually stems from core negative beliefs and a message that they internalized at some point in their lives and started subconsciously um, just out of adaptation and survival in that environment that they were in to take that on. And most of the time, they're no longer in that environment anymore and it's no longer serving them like this adaptation. And so they find themselves in that loop. Um, but stepping outside of that pattern is terrifying because mm-hmm. who am I without this? Um, and even just opening the, up the door of what is the potential, what can be there? They've never even most of the time even considered that. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes it's so heady. It's so intellectual. Um, we have no idea what's going on below that, yep. uh, what's happening in the body. 
And oftentimes it's a chemical, it's a, it's just a, a hormonal um, addiction, if you will. I don't, I don't want to use addiction, but it's, it's a tendency yep. uh, because it just, it further reinforces those, those beliefs as much as we say, like, I don't want to be X, Y, Z. It's actually, you know, the other side of the coin is you believe you're that. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to avoid it and look at it and feel it versus moving towards something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you could probably give examples of something like that, where, like you said, don't want to use the word addiction, but like the tendencies that people have towards chasing different things or trying to reinforce beliefs that they have. One of them would definitely be that the negative self-talk, the self-deprecation where they want people to say, no, you're not that. No, like you're, you, you're, you're so pretty. No, you're in such good shape. No, you're, you're so strong. Like you're going to do so well at your competition. Mm-hmm. Like they want other people to say that. And it's, they like put themselves down, but I'm sure that you've been around people who are just perpetually negative. Perpetually. And like, I've, I've run into this issue before with certain clients where I'm like, I can't coach you anymore. If you're every single check-in just going to be negative, negative, mm-hmm. negative. Like we need to never enough. Exactly. It's like, we need to address this because like, as a coach, I'm like, man, this is rubbing off on me. Like I'm, I don't, I don't even want to open your emails anymore because I know. Yeah. Yeah, That's a sign. Yeah. I know. I know what I'm going to see. Like, this is challenging for me to to navigate. Um, And for those types of people who are just perpetually negative, you feel like that's more so something that is just like deeply rooted inside of them. And like, there's obviously nothing that they can do in the fitness space physically aesthetically perform band-aid exactly yeah exactly and and that's what i've found too it's there are a lot of people that i feel like get into bodybuilding with the hope that bodybuilding will will solve their self-esteem issues because they think that their self-esteem issues are rooted in their physique they're Mm -hmm. like their dislike of their physique but most of the time it's way deeper than that way deeper and, and that's something I found too. And, um, and I'm sure that like something like the intake form that you guys would, would be giving out would be, you know, asking questions along this mm-hmm. line of, of, of thinking, but yeah, like, that's just something that I I've had conversations with people in the past, um, just about like, you know, when are people ready to compete? Like, when do you know your clients are ready to compete? Yeah. Like, you know that you're ready to compete. And it's amazing how the answers are never anything really to do with physique. Mm-hmm. Or body composition, mention that, like, yeah. men, like mentally, like psychologically, where is this person? Are they psychologically ready to compete? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a disqualifier more often than physique even is. I found absolutely, yeah. And, and yeah. like you said, um, it's because we can get that physique mm-hmm. that we've been chasing, and it's still not enough. Why? And another point that I like to bring up with my clients is. You're not answering the questions, the very important questions that you're asking yourself. Why am I like this? Why can I be X, Y, Z? And they stop there. And I think that's important for someone that's like perpetually negative to explore. Yeah. Yeah. And, Where do these beliefs come from? And yeah. Are they and even yours? That that's an interesting that's question. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's something that I I 100% agree with just because like, even for myself, like if I really start exploring, like why I believe certain things the way that I do, or why I have certain, certain conceptions about myself in the world. And if I really trace that back, it's like, oh, it's because I, like someone who I trusted, Mm -hmm. or someone who I 
I looked up to whenever yes. I was, whenever I was young, believed this thing mm -hmm. or said this thing. Right. And it's amazing how things just get stuck in your psyche and it, you can't really unroot them without doing a lot of, a lot of work. work, a lot of fucking work and bodybuilding doesn't solve those problems. No, it's so, just like getting money or yeah. getting property yep. or this certain relationship. It's all, it's all a parallel, mm -hmm. even substance abuse. Yeah, it is. It, it's the same thing. It's just a, a different, uh, mechanism, different yeah. band-aid brand. So I actually didn't have this question written down, but because you mentioned substance abuse, I have a really random question for you. Go for it. I'm, I'm curious as to know your answer to this. So why do you think that people who are really, really into bodybuilding, fitness, like they're heavily into that lifestyle, like they love it, they mm -hmm. live it, um, maybe don't compete, but like just, you know, very serious about it. Why do you think that demographic is also very into taboo things like Whenever, and I, I, I knew you were going to go like, there. Yeah. Sub, like substance abuse, um, body modification. So like tattoos, yeah, tattoos, piercings, and then sexual taboos, sexual taboos. So why do you, why do you think those things are, are correlated in the same yeah. type of populations? Do you have an answer to that? Cause I'm, I've, this is just my yeah. conceptualization of it. Um, I believe it's because there is so much rigidity that is necessary to be a competitor or to continue this lifestyle that pendulum needs to swing it needs to balance out you know just like in a sub when you take a substance doesn't matter what it is you get that high whether it's dopamine serotonin whatever it is and it needs to balance out and you're going to have that crash so the pendulum swings and we we got it that energy has to go out somehow just like i mean it could be the rigidity with you know, tracking your macros every single day to the T. And then on the weekends, you go all out, you binge. It's, yeah. that's a really interesting way of putting it too, because like, I thought of that. I thought of um, one aspect being kind of like the, the center of attention peacocking nature that, mm -hmm. that people really enjoy whenever you're in bodybuilding at a high level, whether it's competing or whether it's just like, Again, you recreationally taking it serious at, at your gym, whatever, um, where people kind of like being that center of attention. So like for me, that more easily goes along with like mo body modifications, like mm -hmm. tattoos and piercings, where you kind of make yourself even more so that that sure. figure. Um, but then it's like the drug use. I'm like, OK. And for, for people who don't know, <laughs> maybe this is just like a glossing over a really big thing, but it is prevalent, rampant. It's rampant. And in the the fitness world to be really into drugs mm -hmm. be really into into sexual taboos as well yeah and even alcohol um, even alcohol yeah it's yeah. it's like it's it's needing something to give them that like dopamine rush mm -hmm. and and that's it, it's always something i found hilarious and really interesting because like you said the rigidity that's needed to be really really good at bodybuilding contrasted with like festival lifestyle festival, yeah it's yeah. wild it's feral it's feral that's such a good way of putting it it's yeah. feral and it's just like letting loose it's the opposite of what you'd imagine bodybuilding to be but it's the same people doing both of them mm -hmm. and for me that's always been funny how it's like like the bodybuilding crowd has become like the the festival crowd yeah it's and a thing like it is we get festival ready 
Yeah, it is. It is. But um, but no, I was just curious as to, uh, to know what like your thoughts. Yeah, on that, because that's I also like, think I love this. I th- I love that you brought this up. I also think it's because there's little integration with who you are as a person. So it's either you're identifying as I am a bodybuilder and whatnot. And then, yeah, I just need a, I just need a relax at the end of the week or whatever it is, you know, just like someone that hates their job. Then I'm going to go ham at the bar later. I'm going to slam a bottle of wine and watch that. I don't know, scandal or something. Um, so I think most of us are trying to find a release, a release of some sort. And it's, it's usually temporary. And I think some people can just go to ham with it and they end up shooting themselves in the foot, but they haven't found a way to integrate that release, that letting go in a day-to-day, you know, practice. Yeah. Like, do we really need to go to a festival all the time to find that? Probably not. I mean, it's fun. I love it. And easier. I went through it. It's yeah. easier. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's such high energy plus the music, plus the community. Um, but I recognize for myself that, okay, how can I create this in my day-to-day life without hurting myself, without yeah. engaging in substances or without, you know, three-day festival, like that, that's very taxing on the body. Just if you were to go sober. Um, oh, dangerous sex practices. I mean, that's dangerous sex practices. Like, yeah. You see that. What, a if, lot. what am I looking for? Actually, is it really this activity or is it an experience within myself? Yeah. And th- I, there's also the, the part about people who are very serious in bodybuilding or, or fitness that I think moderation is something they struggle with too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really easy for them to be all in on bodybuilding and then they get like a taste of something else that gives them a, a similar emotional reaction mm-hmm. or similar dopamine rush. Like, let's say again, you know, substances, they get, yeah. they get a similar high from taking a substance that they do from going to the gym and they're like, Oh shit. Like this is, this is great. Let me this go ahead. Awesome. And, yeah. Let me do this again. It's like, then that leads down this crazy path or like maybe sex again, like mm-hmm. they get, that high from sex and then they just go down that path. Um, but no, I, I actually, I a hundred percent agree with you. I don't know. I don't know that there's one answer to this. It's just, you know, that parallel has always been really interesting for me to observe being obviously in it, but also observe yeah. other people too, because there are a lot of, a lot of people that have been clients of mine, or I've been friends with who I've started as friends with them because of fitness. Like that's the association. Yeah. And then I see them slowly transition into, okay, now they're going down this other alternative lifestyle. Now right. they're almost away from fitness, which is what I knew them for. And now they're like a rave bro. Like that's all they do is go to raids and do drugs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's very, like I said, very interesting to me too, to have observed. Um but you did mention something a second ago, and it's kind of like ex- escaping my mind now. Okay. Well, I just thought of when you described that for a friend, it's almost like a codependent relationship. Interesting. You lose yourself in that. Yeah. 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 Like, I need you. And without it, I'm not enough. Interesting. So like identifying with it. Yeah. 
And it's just like bodybuilding. It is. It is. And I think that bodybuilding on its own can be obviously so constructive because I think the mm-hmm. rigidity that the rigidity and the self-control that you learn from bodybuilding can carry also discipline. Discipline. Yeah. Discipline. discipline. I guess that's the overarching better yeah. word than rigidity. But um the discipline, the routine orientedness, I think that, that those are all like really, really good things that mm-hmm. someone can learn from from bodybuilding. Um, but you know, the rigidity, I think, is what where people start to falter. It's just like with anything in this world, the more that you are restricted from doing something, the more that you want to do more of it, and then you get a little bit of it, a little bit of freedom, and you just go completely yeah. in that direction. But you know. Again, bodybuilding can be very constructive or it can be very destructive for people. And you've obviously seen this at a high level because you've worked with a lot of competitors and you're on the mental health side of things, which (laughs) in a lot of ways is way more difficult than anything that I would be doing or anything that like a, a macro coach or prep coach would be doing. So like whenever you have someone come in who is really struggling with certain things, and that could be body image, that could be like, um, binge eating, it could be anything, right? Um, what are some of like the first questions that you might ask someone who you meet for the first time, just to kind of get a good sense of where their headspace is at in that moment and where you can kind of go and leapfrog into the session or like the first, first place to potentially start helping them. Yeah. It's usually almost always, why are you here? Yeah. And why now? Because I can bet it's been a long time that they've been engaging in these, um, you can call it unhealthy behaviors or just stuck in this rut. Yeah. So why now? That's an interesting question. Like the, the timing is definitely something that it has to be right because be right. Yeah. They have to be ready. It was especially, especially with therapy. Like I know that myself personally, like that I go through periods where like, I know that I need like, I think I always need personally, I always need therapy. And like, even you, like you've been my therapist before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, so like, I need therapy. I love yeah. going to therapy. That's what brought me into the industry. Well, my I'm own sure, experience. I'm sure that a lot of people can relate to the fact that like, even at its base, therapy being someone to talk to, it like stripped away of everything else. It's just someone to talk mm-hmm. to, someone who can be unbiased in their listening and yeah. their feedback Everyone can benefit from that at all times. Literally every moment of every day, having that is beneficial for all of us. But I think that we all also come up with good excuses as to like why we don't need it at that time. Mm-hmm. Something happens in our lives that like expedites that timeline. We're like, okay, now I'm ready. Now I know that I need this. I can't keep pushing this off. Um, so I like that you brought up like the why now part. Right. And like what would after the why now after these questions like you know start developing some kind of treatment plan for someone in the situation um you know what are some of like the first things that you might resort to let's say you have a competitor come in who is dealing with some kind of like body image issues they're stuck in a rut and like what are like the first things that you go to 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 start helping them in that situation yeah i would definitely want to get just an assessment of their worldview their perspective um because that's going to let me know what kind of direction to go in. Um, Oftentimes it's like, okay, I want a relationship or I want X, Y, Z. And it's still very focused on like having a physique goal. It's having a certain outcome. And that's just the, the surface level of the pattern. 
it doesn't matter if you get that thing, if you get the million dollar, dollar boat or whatever, you're not going to feel it because it's not about that. Mm. It's more so the experience. It's a state that you want to get in and like an internal sense of equanimity and peace and acceptance. So sometimes I'll have to like redirect them and assess their own values um, and assess if they are, it's their values, their own values, or it's the values that they've internalized from society or their parents or any sort of a cultural structure. Um, So I'll have that baseline. And then we start working through identifying the patterns, identifying the core beliefs. Um, Most often than not, most humans are experiencing like, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Who am I? Um, Am I enough? Am I going to be abandoned? Um, Do I belong? Am I good or bad? So those are the very common ones that I work with or that I find. Um, Does that answer your question? Yeah. So you you find that like kind of stripped of all the surface level stuff, whether it's competing, whether it's relationships, whether it's it's work, you know, all mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. stressors that come with that. You feel like underneath all of that, everybody has like an existential crisis that they yes. need to they they need to to come to terms we with. We all do. Yeah, yeah. And um, do you feel like a lot of that is like lack of purpose, lack of of feeling meaning in life? Do you feel like that's a big one? I think that's. That's one of them. Well, that's one of the big ones. And also the belief, especially now with this whole wave of, you know, self-help and healing Mm -hmm. and all that, which is great. It's been brought to mainstream. However, well-being does not mean you are going to be positive all the time. It does not mean you are going to be happy. You know, the whole pursuit of happiness, that is false. A healthy life is going to have ups and downs. You're going to have challenges. Life is going to throw shit at you. What really matters and what makes the difference is how you are when those things happen. How you are with yourself. How you are in response to these things versus reaction versus being on autopilot uh, versus just being in a state of nervous system dysregulation. That's what we want to shift towards. And you you kind of mentioned this because there's this wave of, of self-help. There's a wave of, I feel like, kind of recreational therapists that mm-hmm. whether they classified as therapy or influencers. influencers or life coaching or like spiritual coaching, whatever they want to call it, right? That kind of gets them around the legalities of what therapy should be whenever you are, you have someone's emotions in your hands. Right. It's, it's, it's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, it is. Um, but you know, what are some of the things that have really frustrated you about maybe your industry that you're in currently, or Mm. some of like the newer waves of popularity of, I hate to say popularity of like mental health awareness, because I think mental health, mental health awareness is a, is a great thing. Um, and removing the stigma around mental health, I think is a, a really great thing, but with things going mainstream, inevitably there are some negative aspects mm-hmm. that happen because of it. So like, what are some of the things that you've seen 
that whether it's again intrinsic, intrinsic to your industry or maybe just like outwardly that you're seeing, um, you know, population wide. One of the things that come to mind are it's, you know, if you have your own experience in therapy, that just means that, okay, I have all of the answers and I can help you. Yeah. <laughs> False. Yeah. Um, I don't even have all of the answers. Like I am learning every day. I tell my clients that I learn from you. Um, so I think a lot of people on social media, and I'm not casting shade on it, but I think we just need to overall have more self-awareness mm -hmm. about what message we're putting out there. Um, because first of all, you're not really interacting with a human being yet. It's just like, someone's going to see your page, someone's going to see your post, and they're going to have their own reaction to it and their own projections. And you're not able to move with that energy. You're not able to have sincere clarity. So I think a lot of things can be misconstrued. I think, you know, just like we were talking about with substances, things can swing to a certain pendulum. So what I think of is like manifesting and, you know, positivity and just no bad vibes only good vibes and i have i have a lot of resistance towards that because yeah. that's that's the whole avoidance thing yeah. i'm not going to look over here because it's uncomfortable and i don't want it um so i'm going to i'm going to just stick to to this group but you're actually just like denying a whole part of yourself you're invalidating a whole part of yourself or just a whole part of society. And I, I can definitely relate to that because I, I'm an optimistic person, but I yes. feel like I'm, I'm also someone who is like a realist. Mm -hmm. And for me, it, it's kind of frustrating whenever people refuse to accept that there are bad things in the world and there are there are and there are times whenever you're going to feel really fucking shitty about your life and about where yes. you are you're going to have these like existential crisis moments yes. where you're really 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 struggling um and you can't just like you can't always positive self talk your way out of those things you know um so you can't always just manifest good energy out of out of nothing like the like it doesn't mm -hmm. work like that you know um so that's definitely something that i i get somewhat frustrated with because my perception isn't that it's fake. It's just that it's like, again, a refusal to acknowledge what's actually happening there. Um, and it's trying to put on like a, a public image that is mm -hmm. not reflective of what reality is. The persona. Yeah. It's an yeah. an act. It, it, yeah, it, it can be. And, um, you know, another thing for me that, that frustrates me is people using mental health as an excuse to continue shitty patterns oh, absolutely um and this has been something that i've i think become increasingly more aware of especially like as i've dealt with my own mental health stuff in the past few years um is how easy it is to use that as an excuse to just be sure. continue to to do stupid shit and be like a shitty person and like hurt people right mm -hmm. it's very easy to be like oh well like i'm like this i do this because i am this rather than like trying to fix the patterns right. and behaviors or work on those things to not be that person. Right. Or um, because I'm a Pisces, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. Let's not even start. <laughs> um, but like, like how often do you feel like people will take 
a diagnosis and try and run with that and use that as as an excuse for their behavior rather than trying to actually work on on rectifying that behavior or that diagnosis. I've seen it before. Um, I've curated my clientele to uh, not take on those clients. And usually they don't gravitate to me. Mm. Um, But yeah, it's it's an overall lack of accountability. Mm. And it's an attachment to a certain identity because they're not ready to let go. They're not ready to move towards what they want because, you know, that mental health diagnosis, if you will, has served a purpose for them. It's kept them safe. Mm-hmm. Whether or not, you know, it's still uncomfortable, it's still shitty. Um, most humans would prefer something that is known and familiar versus jumping into something that was probably better for them and unknown. I feel like it also can be a sense of relief whenever someone is diagnosed, let's say is uh, sure. bipolar, bipolar, for instance, right? Um, because it does, it creates a sense of I'm not alone in this. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a, an ability to be almost like, okay, good. I, I knew that there was something maybe not normal about me. I hate to even say that word like that. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, a, a little bit different about like how my brain works or how like I interpret the world. And then being diagnosed as bipolar, for instance, mm-hmm. is almost like validating. It's like, oh yeah, yes. I, I am. Different. I'm seen. I will. I, yeah, I'm seen. I'm different. It's okay for me to act like this because yes. I'm bipolar. Rather than wait a second, my actions, my behaviors, even though this is in the backdrop, are negatively impacting the people around me and my life. So mm-hmm. maybe I need to figure out a way to manage this in a way that allows me to continue to improve my life and continue to like be around people that I love and that love me. Mm -hmm. It's again, like I've seen it happen a lot. Um, I think that there was like a wave, especially like post 2020 where everyone was depressed. Everyone was anxious. And I mean, to a degree, everyone is right. Like it's a spectrum anyway. That's exactly what I was thinking when you brought up the whole normal concept. Like, are you okay? Are you okay if you're normal? What's going on? Like, look at this, the state of the world. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think that there is really a normal, um, again, it's just, I think it's all a spectrum. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and, but, but after, after 2020, there was definitely a lot more understanding and acceptance that, Hey, we're all dealing with some shit right now. We're all kind of confused as to what's going on in life and we're kind of confused as like you know what the future is hold or what the future will hold so maybe we're a little bit nervous about this we have this angst that we all are living with at the moment um but i i remember that um you know there were a lot of people basically like justifying not working or not mm-hmm. doing these things because like they were like oh you know like i'm taking a mental health day and yeah. i I get it, man. Like I truly get it. Where like some days I'll wake up and I'm like, it is so hard for me to get out of bed right now. Sure, like I can yeah. just turn the lights off, pull the covers up, and just stay here all day. Um, but I think that we also have to be really, really careful about using that as a, again a blanket excuse mm-hmm. because then it just it opens that up to being abused, and anything that can be taken advantage of will also be abused. And I right. think. That I think if we if we just allow mental health to be used as as an excuse over and over and over and over and over again, whether that's professionally or whether that's like, you know, relationships, whatever, 
I think it just be it opens that up to being abused. And I don't know where that line is, you know, and I'm definitely not professional in this. Um, but that's been my observation from from afar. Yeah. So I just had this thought. I think it's abused because whether or not like we have a, a diagnosis or we we have an understanding of okay, I this is the the community or this this is the population that has these similar patterns and you know I belong in it in some fashion. We're also not considering that, okay, in my own immediate bubble, this is going on, but there's still these larger constructs that are playing into it that don't allow us to really be liberated. Yeah. Um, so because they might engage in this excuse, it's because, you know, the culture society reinforces, you know, for example, capitalism. If I'm not productive, I don't have value. I don't have purpose. So I think that is playing a role. Um, And also just internalized messages from their parents. Um, You know, when they might have been receiving attention, it might have been probably negative attention. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, I'm going to do things that might hurt me, but I'm going to be getting attention. And we're all desperate. We're, We're yearning for that. We really are. And we we're not so seen in this, you know, swipe, swipe, swipe world where it's just, we see each other's as objects versus just like another being right here. I know that you alluded to it with the swipe, swipe, swipe thing, but um, what role do you think social media plays in this and making it difficult to, to manage your own expectations, your own self-worth as compared to not only just like your peers, but also society, because you're seeing like the algorithms are reinforcing who you're, oh my gosh, yeah. you're seeing like, you know, models, you're seeing um, the professional bodybuilders, you're seeing influencers, you're seeing like what they want you to see. So how much of that do you feel like contributes to, to people's struggles with their own like self-worth? I think it contributes a lot. I can't give any sort of percentage, but I, <laughs> <laughs> but a large amount. And it depends on your intention when you approach it, like, is it very just unconscious? Like, okay, I'm, I'm bored. I'm going to pick up my phone or I'm at a party and I feel uncomfortable. Any sort of like uncomfortable tension, we grab the phone. Yeah. Grab the phone. And sure, it can give us this relief, but we're also completely disconnected. Completely disconnected from the present moment, from our own experience, because it, it is a lot. It's a lot. And overall, we've we've never been taught how to deal with that. So because this is a lot, we look towards something else outside of us that is relatively or subjectively pretty or subjectively feel good uh, sort of energy and in a way that can validate us even if it's negative or the way it's perceived inside of us is negative uh because we are seeing ourselves but it's 
you know, it's like, oh, I'm not good enough or I'm not lean enough. We're still like giving ourselves attention. I think some people look for that negative validation. They look for it. Yeah. I think all of us, we act in ways according to whatever we believe in, mm. whether it's conscious or not. Um, I lost my train of thought. So, yeah, I do think I do overall think that social media plays a, a large role in how people perceive themselves, and I've gone through a spiral of that in the past. Yeah, and more recently, I would say over the last year more and more and more i'm just i don't care for social media anymore or when i'm on it i consciously ask myself what am i doing or why am i posting this is this for me because i think this is awesome and dope and i believe in this message and i just want to share myself because it feels good or i just want to let this go out in the ethers or am i looking for this validation from yeah my ex or someone else or my crush and constantly checking back. Did they watch the story or did they like it? Did they comment? And oh, I actually, yeah. I, I saw a study not too long ago. Um, it might've been like a meta-analysis actually, but um, comparing a lot of different, different approaches to eliminating social media for a set period of time for yeah. a control group and or not a control group but the testing group and then having a okay. control group with them and basically seeing like across the, this wide measure of subjective analysis like how does eliminating social media affect people and affect their mood affect their outlook on the world and in every category it's positive like eliminating social media has a positive outcome i'm not surprised yeah and um but it's it's so interesting though because like in my opinion i think that the idea behind social media is is a positive one, right? It's, it's like, great. It's a tool. It's 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 creating more connections. It's yes. broadening your ability to connect with people. Like that is inarguably a great tool. Like like that is good. Um, Absolutely. But it's it's become less about connection. It's more about comparing, and it's and consuming, it's consuming, and almost a, a race to the top, right? Mm -hmm. Like how many followers do I have? How many likes mm -hmm. do I have? How, you know, how many people have viewed my story? Like these types of things, just like overwhelming metrics. And we can see the metrics and other people can see the metrics too. Yeah. So it's even almost like more challenging. Um, and I think that that is something that's almost impossible to escape that consistent comparison. You said, you mentioned like, you know, capitalism where like you don't have value if you're not productive. And I think in a lot of ways, social media makes that, I don't want to say feelings of worthness. It, worth, it reinforces. It, it definitely reinforces things too, because, you know, for me, like I, I don't really have too many insecurities around like, you know, where I am in life at this point. Right. You know, obviously I'm like, you know what, there are people my age who are doing better than I am, who are more successful. That's inarguable. Um, but I, I can that's objective too. Yeah. What yeah. Does success mean? True. True. And, but, but for me, like I, I really, try not to compare myself to those things. And I try and look at my own life and like compare it to, to really just myself. And like, am I improving? Am I doing better than I was last year? Then great. You know, I'm doing okay. Um, but it's also really challenging to see those types of things and not look at your life and feel like it's inadequate in some way, mm -hmm. or you're inadequate in some way, or be like, this person I went to high school with is now doing this. They're married. They're traveling the world. You know, they're making 
a million dollars a year. Like, why am why am I not doing that too? Mm-hmm. Like, why am why am I inadequate to be able mm-hmm. to live that type of life? And um, one thing that I've really understood to probably like a unhealthy degree is that life experiences are so relative. It's yeah. it's not absolute, you know. And you can see this a lot by looking at like the rate of suicide mm-hmm. of celebrities. Celebrities, yeah. Or the rate of like drug addiction. Overdose. What is it? The 27 club. Yeah. Yeah. You you see these things and you look at these people who objectively have these glamorous lives where you're like, I would trade my life for this person's life immediately. They have everything they could ever want. And, um, and one thing that I've started to understand a lot too, is like, you can only achieve and experience so much in the, in your lifetime. Right. And money can definitely improve your life in a lot of ways because it opens up experiences that, you know, not having money would, would have more time if you will. Yeah. And it it opens up social connections and like, you know, you're able to do all of these really cool things that, um, that not having money kind of, you know, restricts you from, but what I've noticed is that it creates this higher and higher ceiling that you have to go further. It's like, it's like having like, you know, a rabbit that you're always chasing mm-hmm. and no matter how fast you run, it's speeding up and you can't ever quite get it. Right. So you're always chasing something and it's like, you get to like the mountaintop and then there's only down, you can it's only go down. down. From that point. And that's a really depressing feeling. I have to imagine, right? Like I've never been to that point, but you look at like, you know, certain celebrities who have really, really struggled with those things yeah. in the past billionaires right billionaires who billionaires who have committed suicide who have struggled with these things and like for me I, I can understand that i can understand getting to what you consider the highest of highs everything that like life would be able to provide you with in terms of experiences in terms of mm-hmm. happiness in terms of all of these things that you seek and knowing that that's either it or you you feel like that's it or that like there's only down to go from that point that would be extremely depressing. That would be a, that would be a struggle to deal with. Yeah. And, and that's where I think that like, you know, the relative side of, of subjective experiences mm-hmm. is it's, you can't compare things, right? You can't compare things. Um, a lot of people get caught trying to compare things and co- trying to compare their life to other people's. And, you know, t- bringing this back to physique sports, people compare physiques. Mm-hmm. And, women especially will look at other Big, yeah be like man like i would kill for her body there's no way that she could ever suffer from like you know body image issues because she's perfect <clears throat> and again you know it's it's just a, it's relative it's relative and um and that's something that i i've noticed a lot um i don't know if you can speak to that because i just kind of went off on a tangent but i don't know if you can add no anything. that's that's great um it actually reminded me of a, another podcast that i've been really interested in um one of the speakers talked about the issue with uh, people that just have so much celebrities, millionaires, billionaires. And she presented this idea. It wasn't absolute. They were just talking about different thoughts and ideas that came up, but she said, it's kind of narcissistic and it's like hoarding tendencies too. Mm -hmm. Why are you collecting all of these things, money and cars and watches or whatever, shoes, for what? What are you looking for? And the word that you you said a few times that stood out to me is that 
they feel lost. Mm-hmm. You're just lost. And most often than not, even if you know we're looking for a certain physique, what we're looking for is for ourselves. And not to get like super wishy-washy and woo-woo, but all of these experiences are experienced sure, like you can meditate or you can achieve something very big or win an academy award but the experience is within you and those things are just a method it's just a method to get there Mm -hmm. but i mean you can feel the same greatness and openness and awe sitting outside on the turf and soaking up the sun and drinking your favorite beverage yeah and like some of the most like oddly happy moments I've ever had have been just being like incredibly present in mm-hmm. like in nature in a moment that was just like beautiful. So whether that's like sunset La Jolla beach or like, you know, being in Mexico and just like looking out at the water and like watching yeah. the sails breach, like just like moments like that, we were just like, Holy shit. Like, this is just so fucking beautiful. Like this yeah. is just anything. like you just sit out there and you just, breathe and you just don't think about anything else and you just yeah. observe and it's enough it is it like it, it really is um and obviously like life is challenging and yes. going through life as an adult is really fucking hard and it's not fun <laughs> and i and like here's the thing though it's like i don't think that life is supposed to be fun all the time and that's mm-hmm. where that's where i think people get caught in in these ruts and they get caught in these these loops is because they're expecting to be provided with almost like endless happiness if they achieve X, Y, or Z, right? Mm-hmm. If you make X amount of money, you expect that to correlate with Y amount of happiness. But like chasing money is never enough. Chasing status is never enough. Chasing no. success. It, it, it's because you're always going to be looking at the next thing and you're never able to actually appreciate where you are in that moment because you're always focused on the next thing. Right. That's the mechanism, the the, the yeah. thought loop, if you will. Especially for really driven people, really driven people, um, you know, whether that's in bodybuilding or whether that's in life or business or, or whatever. Those are also the types of people who really struggle to appreciate what's going on in that moment or appreciate like what they were able to accomplish because whether that's being on stage and winning a show and then before you're even off stage, you're thinking about the next one. Mm-hmm. Right? You, can, you can't actually take a breath and be like i just did something really cool yeah. i just achieved something that i put yeah. a lot of work in like yeah. like i'm happy for myself i'm proud of myself like yes. don't like most of those people don't allow those thoughts to happen because mm-hmm. they're so focused on what's coming next the future um and i guess that this is kind of like a, a different question but i've i've found myself to be very much in that camp of always thinking about the future having like almost anxiety about the future and there are also people who are stuck in the past mm-hmm. who who can't get over past traumas or I can't get over. That's a very bad way of putting that. They they're struggle. Stuck. They're stuck. They're, they're stuck with, with past traumas um, or, or something that is kind of like, you know, anchoring them mm-hmm. to the past and very, very, very few people can actually live in the present. Mm-hmm. Like their physical bodies are here, but their brains are somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Most people, yeah, most people's brains. Most people. um, like, do you have any good strategies for just like staying present and yeah, allowing like that anxiety that um, 
that that trauma of the past or the the latching on to the past mm-hmm. kind of wash away, even if it's momentary, even if it's momentary, you know, yep. five, 10 minutes to just give you that reprieve <clears throat> to be present. Like, do you have any, any really good strategies that you'd like recommend yep. to people? Blanket word <laughs> or a term, slow down. Yeah. Slow down. And that doesn't mean you need to sit in a dark room and meditate for an hour does not necessarily mean that or just not do anything like not have any any goals it just means to orient yourself to the experience of the moment and most of the time it doesn't even involve your thoughts um and i'm also not saying not to have thoughts because that operates on its own too um what i'm alluding to is just experience like we did as babies experience the sensations in your body because mm-hmm. those are literally your emotions but we've created labels and the mind has created labels because we need to communicate uh to detach from it so like once you say oh i'm anxious you're already detached from it what the heck is anxiousness yeah. how do you know it's anxious it's anxiousness in your body is it trembling is it like tension in your your chest uh do you feel a pit in your stomach how's your breath you feel a lump in your throat like that's what we really want to do and just allow those sensations to be as well as you know the external experience as well Uh, what sounds am i hearing what am i seeing outside of me smell the temperature um when we hone in on those experiences, those sensations, we find ourselves very present. And then our bodies are relaxed. They're open. We're not trying to like force this tension out of us um, because if we just allow space for it to be with just curiosity, awareness, they usually let go. Yeah. They usually move through us. And then we actually have the capacity to use our prefrontal cortex, the tool that is magnificent for humans. But when the body is dysregulated, it's shut down. Uh, this is why we spiral and we loop. Um, then we can, oh, okay, why am I doing this? Or where do I want to go from here? What do I want to plan? And yeah, like I like just the blanket statement of slow down because that itself can encapsulate a lot of things whether that's like meditative breathing whether that is going on a walk mm-hmm. whether that is you know just laying down closing your eyes and just like allowing your heart to, to slow down mm-hmm. i mean that's something that i definitely struggle with is during a work day like just getting really worked up and having all of these things happening at once like pinging back and forth between email and text yeah. and, you know all of this shit and Every once in a while, I'll feel myself feeling very overwhelmed mm-hmm. and I'll just, it's almost like, like a cup is just like overrunning, you know, yeah. I have to take a step back and just breathe, like li- yeah. literally just like deep breaths for like a couple of minutes and just force myself to slow down, force yeah. my breathing to kind of get back into its natural rhythm, <laughs> like really shallow hyper breath. Yes, like, it's shallow. And, um, you know, walks have been definitely something that have helped me over the past couple of years. I mean, obviously living in Ohio, it's a bit difficult during the winter, <laughs> but just getting outside, getting yeah. away, 
from, from my computer, like taking my dog on a walk, like those things have helped me tremendously. Um, I don't, this might be a random question, but like, what are your thoughts on things? I know that a lot of people are really into it now, but like, like cold plunges, ice baths, cold showers, like thoughts on there as like a way to kind of like help with something like, you know, depression, which I've seen people really promoting in terms of like helping with mental state. Yeah. My, to my knowledge, the research is mixed Mm -hmm. and I've seen, I've seen it help people be able to tolerate like their bandwidth of um, uncomfortability or discomfort Mm. stretches a bit because a lot of the, the stress and discomfort that we run away from is in the body. So if we learn how to feel safe, feel regulated in that uncomfortable environment, I think we can open up that window a bit more Mm. um, when, you know, shit hits, hits the fan really because it's in a controlled environment. Uh, Cause you can step out of that ice bath anytime you want, uh, but you're willingly choosing, okay, I am going to be open to this. It's going to suck, but I'm going to be okay. I'm yeah. going to be present in it. Yeah. It's, it, I think it's similar in a lot of ways to like the, the stress that you get from, from a hard workout, you know, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. that, it's that controllable, productive, good stress that yes. our bodies were made to handle. Yes rather than the perpetual chronic low level stress mm-hmm. that we're all just so used to. And yes. that like you brought up a good point where it's like, it almost something like that. And again, I, I don't know in detail what that research would look like. You know, I've seen a good amount of stuff on it, but I definitely am not going over like research paper papers on like ice plunges <laughs> and contrast therapy and things like that. Um, but I, I can totally see how that would be, not a reset, but like a good way of getting your body back in that natural rhythm of responding to an acute stress mm-hmm. and snapping out of that acute stress. Same yes. thing with training response, snap back into normal. So like sympathetic, yes. parasympathetic and yes. re like re-regulating that patterning rather than stress from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, <laughs> but just that like a, a three rather than a 10. Right. You know? Um, but no, I think that that's a really good way of thinking about it. Um, it's definitely something that I've considered. I'm probably just too much of a little bitch to actually. It's jump hard. It's hard. I've done. I've done the out. shower. I've done the shower and. Like, I've done the showers too. Put ice on my face. Yeah, it's it's something that like I, I can convince myself to do in the right mindset and, and like circumstance. But then other times, like the majority of the time, I'm like I I don't feel like those I'm are the times. <laughs> yeah, that's not whatever you need it though. Yeah, but um, no. So there there are definitely a couple more things I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah. You know, so right now with what you're doing and and like how you're kind of going about it, we did briefly talk about you having your own practice or your own your own business. And I don't know if you want to touch on that. Just I don't think we ever really like completely got yeah, into you're it. Right. You were talking about like your background of working at the clinic and stuff like that and how mm-hmm. they slowly have started to transition away from that. Um, but do you want to talk about kind of like what you're doing now in terms of business? Yes. So I started working uh, full time private practice in October of last year. I took the plunge (laughs) and I work fully remote. I don't at at this moment in time, I don't have a physical, you know, brick and mortar office, uh, but I work remote. Um, Most of my clients are from California um, and I typically just take out of pocket. um, But 
if it is necessary, I do accept certain insurances and in the state of California, that is Kaiser, that is Optum, Aetna and Blue Cross. So what I generally provide is just virtual sessions uh, for 15 minutes. I typically like doing uh, a rhythm of once a week and depending on the level of intensity that a client might be at, I could step them down or if they just present with something very general, not that heavy, we can start uh, with biweekly right off the bat. And we sometimes do like monthly check-ins. I also offer consultation. So if it's more of a business question or um, something very general, hop on a call with that. And that's usually prorated. So it's not limited to 15 minutes. could be less than it could be more and i only work with adults and i only work with individuals so i don't see couples okay mm-hmm. who are the majority of your clients now like or what are the majority of your clients coming to you for is it is it very broad very general very broad okay although i do have quite a lot of athletes mm-hmm. um i do have just general population i tend to see a lot of individuals that present with high anxiety, um, a lot of codependency, some form of addiction, whether that's substance, that's a relationship or uh, work. Um, They tend to have relationship issues. They tend to have poor self-esteem, poor sense of self. Um, They struggle with boundaries. I do have some clients that have challenges with depression and then just body image and eating yeah, disorders. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that all makes a ton of sense. Obviously, do you feel like the the remote side of things has been a little bit better or do you feel like yeah. remote presents its own challenges that in person maybe did? Yeah. You want to pros and cons for both. Yeah. Do you want um, some of the challenges maybe? Some of the challenges I I, as a clinician, I'm not able to actually be with the energy of the client because it's just, you know, it's a screen. I mean, yes, I can hear their voice. I can see their face and I could get the, that sense of body language, but it's still, you know, like half of it. And it's not in the present, in the physical. Um, Another challenge could be technical issues um, or sometimes client can be traveling or they're, they're in the car. Um, yeah, there's poor reception. Those are the main ones. Yeah. Like just coming from someone who has done in-person and remote sessions. Um, one of the big things for me that I find is difficult about remote is inability to dissociate your environment. Yes. Yes. So like a lot of people will, will take remote calls at home. But in a lot, of, a lot of times, in a lot of cases, um, being at home has its own stressors associated mm-hmm. with it. So what I found is like going to a physical location, even if it's more inconvenient for me, has allowed me to almost like step into a world that is yeah. a little bit more, I don't say safe, but it's kind of like a little protected, right? Yeah. Where it's right, so, the sole purpose is yeah, for that. I can kind of get away from, from my own shit 
for a little mm-hmm. bit because I can be in that room. I can be in a different world and yeah. then back out. It's like, okay, now I'm back in the real world. Um, and that was, that was the biggest thing for me. Like, obviously it's super convenient to do remote. Like I don't have to go anywhere. I can right. you know, yeah. on my own time a little bit more, but, um, I can totally see how that, that could be a little bit more challenging from the client's end, but also like your end, you know, the professional side, mm-hmm. just having to, to navigate those things. Um, but yeah, I think that like, really that's the majority of like the intense questions I wanted to ask. Um, I, we have you know, fun I, questions. So, um, in terms of fun questions, uh, let me, let me think, let me think, um, let me see what festivals do you have going on this year? Festivals. Yeah. Um, I'm only doing two this year. So that's EDC and, um, Lost Lands. Oh, yeah. Lost Lands. You have to go to Lost Lands. That's Um, my favorite one. (laughs) No, no, that's. That's exactly where my head is at too. Um, I think I'm going to go to EDC or no, not EDC, Electric Forest in Lost Lands. Oh, nice. Super excited about that. But yeah, like I want to let you go um, because I really appreciate your time. Obviously, I know that you are in Arizona right now and trying to- Yeah, they should be coming back from the hike soon. Yeah. Um, But before we go, is there anything that you want to say? Any plugs that you want to make for yourself? How people can find you, all of the good stuff? Sure. Um, And I'll send you the links too. Um, Yep. I don't have a personal website, but I do have um, a directory on psychology today. You could just plug my name in, Amanda Rizzo, R-I-Z-O. My Instagram is Rizzo, R-I-Z-O, underscore, Amanda, underscore. Um, What else? I have a Twitter, but that's more for crypto. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What else? Um, My email is A-M-I. R-I-Z-O-027 at Gmail. And feel free to DM me. Feel free to send me an email. And I'll respond as soon as I can. I'm happy to work with people. I'm taking on clients. So that was going to be my next question. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I will obviously put all that stuff in the show notes and stuff. So we will be able to handle that. Anybody who wants to find Amanda or contact her will be able to do so relatively easily. And yeah, taking clients. So anyone who feels like they need to have a conversation or just wants to do a consult with you, just to kind of see how yes. it is. Yeah. Really They're free. I do free consults. Oh, that's dope. I don't mm-hmm. do consults. Um, yeah. <laughs> but awesome. No, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much again, Amanda. Thank you, Bryce. This was awesome. <laughs>